So, okay, you have your notes for lesson four. Lesson four, you should have them in front of you. We've got to get going because these things are just saturated with information for pastors. And seeing we're getting a new pastor in April, we want to know as a church, we want to know as a church uh, what is required. And so we're up to chapter four, 1 Timothy chapter four in your Bible or it's on the notes in front of you. You can write down notes and... Um, uh, this will help us, I think, all be on the same page going forward for as smooth of a transition as possible. All right, so let's get in at First Timothy chapter number 4. This is lesson 4 on the pastoral epistles, verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. That means with great emphasis. It's the only time it's ever said in the Bible. Um... The Spirit speaks often in the Bible, but in this case it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. You know, when a preacher starts pounding the pulpit, you ever seen them guys? And they're starting to, looks like they're beating off bees or something, and they're really getting with it, and expression. You tend to remember those more than maybe some dull, dry, dusty sermon. That's what's happening here. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us, the body of Christ, expressly. And this chapter is pretty much a personal chapter from Paul to a very young preacher named Timothy. What? That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Now, it doesn't say all. It says some shall depart from the faith. We'll get to that in a minute. But he talks about the latter times. They believed that they were living in the latter times when the New Testament was written. In fact, John said this in 1 John 2 and verse number 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know it is the last time. So even John thought when he wrote that around 100 AD, 95 AD, he thought that was the last time. Now if they thought that was the last times, what should we be thinking? And they were even looking for the Antichrist and uh, knew that there were Antichrists already. Um, So uh, what should we think? If they thought these were the last times, the last days, we should think they're they're a lot closer. And we can see a lot things more clearly now than they can about the rise of the Antichrist and how pretty much easily... I mean, even the COVID thing was crazy, but we saw how much the, the world just got in lockstep with the prince of the powers of the air. Now, COVID was real, and uh, it, it took some people's lives, especially those with comorbidities, and, and, uh, but we just saw how everybody just got in lockstep all of a sudden all around the world uh, with whatever they were told. And so, but I don't want to get off on that. Uh, But it says, in the latter times, something was going to happen, Timothy. Some shall depart from the faith. Now, you have to be in the faith to depart from the faith. So this means some who are born again, believers in Christ, in the last days are going to depart from the faith. Or the word in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3 is that there would be a falling away which comes from the Greek word apostasy. 
It means that in the true church, we were going we're gonna to see apostasies, we're going to see heresies, we're going to see compromise, but a little bit of hope for us is the word some. It doesn't mean we have to. Some shall depart from the faith. Not everybody. Some are going to hold out to the end, and I hope it will be us. Uh, Jesus asked a question one time, and it's an open-ended question. There's no answer to it. You answer it. And I answer it. He said in Luke 18 and verse 8, the question, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? He doesn't answer it. He just says, when I come, am I going to find faith on the earth? It's an open-ended question for every one of us. Kind of like Joshua, we've got to have a moment where we'll say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we have to come to the place in this day of apostasy in the church, heresy, compromise, where we say we're not going to do that. Let the other churches compromise and become apostate and and, and embrace heresy, but we're not going to. We're going to embrace sound doctrine and good, sound, biblical standards and convictions. We're not going to change. They can change their Bibles. They can change their music. They can change uh, her. Proverbs tells us, meddle not with them that are given to change. And uh, so we have to just determine as a church, Faith Bible Baptist Church, some are going to depart from the faith, but we're not going to. Now, what's going to cause this departure? Verse 1, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. All right, there's going to be seducing spirits. Spirits here refers to demons, little devils going about doing the devil's work, uh, and seducing refers to feeling good. Uh, People are going to put their emotions, emotionalism, before spirituality. And there's a lot of churches today that have gone that route where they're trying to appeal to the emotions of people and have them walk out of the church and say, boy, do I feel good. And it's almost like a drug addict who has to go to church every week to get their emotional fix. And uh, boy, and, and they, you know, especially, I love music, I play music, but boy, music is not the main thing. I mean, if you study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's not in there. Uh, music, there's no emphasis of that when Jesus was on the earth. Uh, he sang a hymn in the upper room before he went out to Gethsemane. And was arrested, that was it. And then in the book of Acts, there's no music. As you have the first history, the history of the first century church, the first 37, 40 years of the church Jesus left that went out and evangelized, planted other churches, did home missions, and then foreign missions. There's no mention of music at all in the book of Acts, except one time. Paul and Silas, not in church, but in prison. They sang praises at midnight. So what's that? that? That teaches us there's no emphasis on that when Jesus came and Paul and Peter and those guys. They didn't emphasize. They emphasized evangelism, soul and discipleship, baptism, home missions, worldwide missions. Those were the emphasis. Now we love music and we love to sing and 
And, and then I encourage you, you know, pick up a mute instrument, play it, and sing, and so on. That, that's great. We do have psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We're, we're told that later in the New Testament to help teach us and edify us. But it's not main thing. Seducing spirits. Just trying to make, replace spirituality with emotionalism. And doctrines of devils. I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, January the 15th. Well, of course you remember. Who do I think I'm talking to? The ten great evil feats of Satan. Remember that? In the morning we did five. In the evening, the lie of evolution, the lie of ecumenicalism, the lie of existentialism, the lie of esotericism, the lie of emotionalism, the lie of egocentricism, the lie of epicurism, the lie of eclecticism, the lie of egalitarianism, the lie of experimentalism. Ten lies that are so prevalent today in the church. The notes are over there if you'd like them. If you didn't get them, you can listen to January 15th on the archives. As I try to explain those things, Wade Prime gave us that uh, um, outline, and it just exposes the lies. Doctrines of devils, and they're being embraced by so many uh, people. And we've we got to be aware of those because they're really, some of them are really tricky. You can fall for them really easily. So can I. Now, these seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, will produce, verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, they're going to speak lies. Jesus said in John 8, 44, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. That's why we have those ten lies over there. Stuff he's coming, a lot of it's old stuff, just kind of rewrapped, you know, in, 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 in new wrapping paper. Um, but uh, people will speak these lies having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now notice, here's some examples, verse 3, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now usually the first thing we think about when we see verse 3 is what? Roman Catholicism. Okay, Roman Catholicism, forbidding to marry. They have had a rule in their uh, religion about the celibacy of their priests uh, for centuries. They're not allowed to get married. But what did we just study last week? First Timothy 3, I have my Bible open. Verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Now once in a while I've heard of single pastors who did well. Uh, but for the most part, it is very wise for a bishop to be married and thus avoid a lot of temptation. But they're going to forbid to marry and command to abstain from meats. And if you ever grew up Catholic like I did for a short time, they didn't let you eat meat on Fridays. And that's made, fortunately, praise the Lord, something good came out of that, man. The Friday night fish fries. Well, I tell you, <laughs> that was a blessing. But you know, I, I, I've heard about some other things recently. If you ever say, there, there's a, a movement today called the environmentalists who feign to be scientists. But a lot of it, and we love science, we love good science. Uh, we have no fear of good science at all, we love it. But they're pseudoscientific in the things they are saying 
and that their environmentalism has become a religion to them. It's no different than Wicca, uh, which is a nature-based uh, pagan belief system, a polytheism, Mother Nature. You ever heard of Mother Nature? For heard of her? Don't know who she is, but I believe in Father God. Four times I'm told in my Bible, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But the devil likes to steal things that aren't his and uh, change the names, Mother Nature and environment. And, and, and of course, they, they heap a lot of guilt on you. Well, you don't care about the environment then unless you're like us. They have a zero population growth. In fact, when you really study their religion, they want the population of the world to be reduced from 8 billion to 1 billion. They said that our earth can sustain about 1 billion people. Well, it looks like it's doing pretty well with 8 billion. And uh, my message to them is, okay, you go first. (laughs) If you want to really help, uh, bye. But um, but they, they, they believe that. It's, I call it the climate change cult. It is really a cult. And, and boy, they, they, they say it and they say it and they say it and politicians repeat it. And university professors, college professors repeat it. Uh, grade schools, elementary schools repeat it and repeat it and repeat climate change, climate change, climate change, climate change. And we can see their religion Uh, how strong it is in our country. Uh, They want to replace anything that uses fossil fuels like cars, gas stoves, gas dryers. Want to replace it all with electric. And uh, because they say, well, climate change is a fact and and everything and we're, we're... the, the earth's heating up and the glaciers are going to melt and we're all going to flood each other. Everybody's going to die. And they say this and everything. And, but two of the most prominent uh, climate change cult leaders, environmentalists, religionists, bought oceanfront property, one in Hawaii for $8.7 million, and the other, I forget where the location, over $22 million, oceanfront property. That's called speaking lies in hypocrisy. But their consciences are seared with a hot iron. They have no conscience about that. And I can remember seeing a a video on the inconvenient truth, it was called, where they had these models of Florida, and they say, now watch the water come in, watch the water, and the water floods half the state, and and you're looking at that like, I mean, some kid's going to look at that like just paralyzed in fear. Like, oh, no. Look at the polar bears drowning. The polar bears can swim 25 miles, some of them. And, uh, and, and this is taught and taught and taught. And, and it's just, that's, that's just how it works. They just indoctrinate people. You can go to the internet, to Amazon or something, you would not believe how many books by different authors have been written about what a hoax environmentalism is. There's just so many, book after book after book after book, by scientist after scientist after scientist, but they don't have the microphones. They don't make the newspapers. They're not popular in Hollywood. And all these other indoctrination um, uh, influences 
And so we see a different light on forbidding to marry, verse 3, and commanding to abstain from meats. The environmentalists, part of their religion is to uh, eventually stop anyone from eating red meat. And in their doctrine, Tom Stiles was saying the other day up at Countryside, he was saying that they have, are now beginning to indoctrinate people on the different types of insects you can eat. Don't eat red meat, but eat insects. Now, there is the eating of insects in the Old Testament. There really is. It's part of Israel's law. There are certain insects you can eat. <laughs> Pop them like gummies or something. I don't know what you, what you do, but I've never gotten that far. But, but we can see that this is religion. And uh, notice it says about God, verse 3, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them that believe and know the truth. So people who believe the truth and know the truth know that we can eat these creatures that God has given us uh, for meat. So it's not just the Hindus, and now it's the environmentalists uh, that are trying to... And, and so this, this, to me, as I'm learning these things about the environmentalist religion, and we, we love the environment too, right? We're, we're supposed to be good stewards of the earth. God gave it to us, right? Take good care of it. We, we're not for trashing it. Um, but now as I, I'm, I'm hearing more and more of their religion coming out, what they believe, which they say is science, but it's religion. Um, I can see that in Bible prophecy here in verse number three. Now in Timothy's day, verse four, there was tremendous debates on diet because they were 2,000 years closer to Judaism than we are. Does that make sense? Uh, they were right there when the Jews had their kosher diet from the law of God in the book of Leviticus about what kind of insects they could eat, what kind of fish they could eat, what kind of animals they could eat. It was called kosher, which means proper or clean. So they had a proper or clean diet. And, and so the church back then was right there, you know, right just starting out of that. And, and they had to be careful that they didn't offend these people but at the same time realize the liberty that God now has given us in this dispensation to live under a different dietary laws. There's four different dietary laws in the Bible. And um, sometimes people say, well, the Bible's full of contradictions, and they bring that out. No, the Bible's full of dispensations, not contradictions. And in the dispensations, the Jews and the Gentiles, we have a different dietary law. So, every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So by these two verses we get the practice of often what we used to call in the old days saying grace. Some of you heard that expression before? Okay, let's say grace before we eat. That means we pray and we thank the Lord for the food. We ask God to bless the food and it's sanctified by the word of God. And prayer. Now, you know, we got to compare other portions of Scripture uh, and realize that even in the New Testament, it says, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. And he says this in the context of eating food. He says, You can eat everything you want, but it's not wise to do that. All right? Good health starts in the gut. 
That's where it starts. Good health starts in the gut. What you put in your stomach uh, will oftentimes affect your health. Now, you can put anything you want in there, but it's lawful, but it's not expedient. It's not necessarily helpful. But I will not come under the power of any meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. It goes on to tell us about how we're supposed to glorify God in our body. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. In another text about food, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 23, it says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Again, he says the same thing. He says you can eat whatever you want, but everything is not good for you. It's not good for you, and sometimes people find that out too late. Uh, And sometimes preachers have been real poor examples in this area of diet and exercise and things, uh, which is is sad. Um, But uh, we got to be careful, and Pastor Barron, you got to be careful too that you set a good example in this area. And so he talks about that because that was a big issue back then. There's not much of an issue about it now, especially in a Gentile, basically, church. Uh, There's not much contention about diet. So, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourish up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. And so, uh, Timothy had made advancements in his spiritual walk, and he had attained to good words of faith and good doctrine. And by putting people in remembrance of these things, of what we can eat, and about the lies of the seducing spirits and the doctrines of the devils and so on, and being able to say it's okay to marry, and it's okay to eat meat, and not to get people back under the law, uh, that's a good minister. A good minister, verse 6, must bring remembrance of these things. You can't just preach on them once and say, well, everybody's going to remember that. Uh, No, you have to sometimes review things. But refuse profane and old wives' fables. Now, I I studied this out. I don't know what those were in Timothy's days. But there's some people who are pretty profane in their language. Profane fables and old wives' fables have no place uh, in the Lord's work. And exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now we're going to have a contrast in verses 7 and 8 and 9 about spiritual exercise, verse 7, versus physical exercise, verse 8. And, uh, of course, Timothy is a young man. And young men, the glory of young men is their what? Strength. That's what the Bible says. The glory of old men is the gray head. Strength's gone, but the gray head, yeah. But uh, so we have this contrast here. And he says, exercise, that word exercise is gymnasium, Greek word, which we get the English word today, gymnasium. Same word in verse 7 and 8. So there's the exercise physically, and there, uh, verse 8, and the exercise spiritually. Verse number 7. But it says in verse 8, For bodily exercise profiteth little. 
But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. It doesn't say don't exercise. In fact, that's just kind of one of the three cardinal rules of good health is you eat good, exercise, get enough sleep. That's basically it, you know. You eat and drink, watch what you're eating and drinking. Eat good stuff. Eat, Eat some living food every day. What is living food? Raw food. Salads, fruit, that type of thing. You've got to eat some of that every day. You've got to watch what you drink. Man, don't just eat, drink sugar drinks. You blow your pancreas out or your kidneys or something. And you'll have all kinds of problems then, man. You've got to get some water in you or some good water or some good juices that aren't loaded with sugar. Um, raw foods. You've got to eat well. You've got to exercise. got to exercise. And you got to get enough sleep. You got number one, number one New Year's resolution every year is to sleep, get get better sleep, and uh, that'll help us. That'll help us. So you got to exercise. Uh, this doesn't say don't exercise. It says it profits little, but godliness is profitable in all things. When you think of all things, godliness will profit your health. Because you won't be using nicotine and alcohol and drugs and constantly eating junk food. It's going to help you. Godliness will profit your health. Godliness will profit your finances. If you live according to the scriptures, you're going to be a man or a woman of integrity. You're going to pay your bills. You're going to give tithes and offerings and, and help the poor and, and uh, have investments, save up for the future. That's all under the, guy, uh, the teaching of godliness. Uh, people who are ungodly with their finances don't do very well. Godliness will help your marriage. It will keep you faithful to your partner uh, all of your life. Godliness will help your family. If you try to bring up your kids to be Christians and, and good citizens, they'll, they'll turn out better. Godliness profits and all the pro- Godliness will profit your church. You know, if we have an ungodly church, people will be turned off by hypocrisy. So you can go on and on and on through all these realms of life and show how godliness is profitable in all things, not only in this life, but then in the one to come, it will be rewarded. But physical exercise profits a little, profits a little. But godliness profits in all things. Now this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Timothy, he says in verse 9, you've got to tell everybody to focus on the spiritual, not the physical. Take care of your body so you can, in fulfilling the greatest commandment God ever gave us, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's why we should exercise, take care of our bodies, so we'll have as much physical strength and energy as possible to put into the Lord's work for as long as we possibly can. So, that's faithful. Everybody should understand that the spiritual spiritual exercise is more important than physical exercise. And... uh, Now let's go on. Verse 10, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach. That means for godliness. 
For spirituality, we both labor. You've got to work for it. It doesn't happen. Nobody just wakes up someday and they're spiritual. Just like nobody wakes up someday with muscles. Okay, you've got to labor at that. To get stronger physically, you've got to labor at it. To get stronger spiritually, you've got to labor at it. See the word labor? Verse 10, For therefore we both labor, but you're also going to suffer reproach. The world's not going to say, Hey, here's a godly man or a godly lady. We just love you so much. No, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We will see later in the pastoral epistles. So we got to suffer. If you're going to live a godly life, man, you're going to be judged and, and reproached and mocked and persecuted and separated from. But that's not new. That was, you know, almost 1,900 years ago. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach. Because we trust in the living God. We trust in the living God that there's not only this life, but the one to come. And so we want to exercise ourselves unto godliness, verse 8. Now I want you to notice this doctrinal statement, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. And so Jesus, again, we've seen now for the second time in the pastoral epistles, did not come and just die for the elect. He is the Savior of all men. He died for everybody on that cross. Everybody. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, good. But that's what's called hyper-Calvinism, where they have a limited atonement, that Christ only died for the elect. No, he is... Paul's telling Timothy here, uh, trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Have you believed? And God is your Savior if you've believed. Not in your head, but in your heart. And said, Lord Jesus, I need you to save me, I believe. These things command and teach sounds pretty serious, sounds pretty important. Uh, he's again saying to Timothy, Timothy, Pastor Timothy, get people to focus on the spiritual. Which is sometimes tough in this day and age where sports is such an idol uh, in our, our world. I mean, it's like Sunday morning activities for all the kids nowadays is sports. And um, he says, command and teach people, look, the spiritual is going to outlast the physical. Now, Timothy was a young man, and so he's told in verse number 12, let no man despise thy youth. Okay, God calls sometimes young men to be pastors, to be bishops. He does. And God uses them. Uh, But don't let anyone despise thy youth. I can remember going through that. I started out when I was 26. And I sensed that from some people, that they despise my youth. What can you tell me? What have you ever done? What have you ever accomplished? Why should I listen to you? I had one, only one that I can think of who literally told that to my face when I was locking on doors in Angola. He said, how, yeah, I was talking, introducing myself, trying to get to the gospel. He stopped me. He says, how old are you? I said, 26. He was in his 60s. He says, what do you know? What, what, what can you tell me? I said, well, sir, I'm just here trying to tell you how to be saved. And he didn't, he didn't want anything to do with it. And he, he maintained that spirit towards me. I knew the man. He maintained that spirit 
towards me until he ended up in the grave. And I don't know whether he ever did get saved. But he despised my youth. Look, God's going to call, God just, every apostle was a young man. Every one of them uh, was a young man that he called. And, and, and they've they got the energy, they've got the zeal, they've got the strength, and then he can give them the doctrine and the sound practice and the spirituality, and they turn away. Why would you just wait to choose a bunch of old geezers to be pastors when, they, when they're shot, you know? They're physically shot and no energy. Man, I would, if I was God, I'd want to, I'd want to choose young men in the prime of their zeal and their strength and call them and then utilize that. Uh, boy, the first 25 years, man, I had my foot to the pedal in this church. Some of you remember those years. It was crazy, man. My foot was just down to the metal. The pedal to the metal, as they say in the world, man. We were just going, just just uh, barely hanging on. And then I've noticed since then that, boy, if i taken my foot off the pedal some... Um, but that this is good for us to have young men. Let no man despise thy youth. Those of you that are my age and older, and, and, and Pastor Barron becomes our pastor in April. You know, he's not a novice. He's going to be 30, what, eight at the time maybe? Uh, but yeah, yeah. I haven't had a pastor in 40 years. I'm going to have one come April. And I'm going to put myself under him and support him. And encourage him, even if I see him make youthful mistakes. Um, let no man despise thy youth. But you, Pastor Chris, be thou an example to the believers in word. That's the way you talk. Okay, that's powerful. Words are powerful. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And he that loveth it shall eat the fruit thereof. You've got to just watch your just general words with people every day. Conversation means your lifestyle. It's a different... That word meant different in 1611 when we wrote our King James. It means your lifestyle. Your lifestyle, you know. Uh, your appearance, that, that type of thing. Be an example in charity. You can love. In spirit, that refers to your attitude. Have a good attitude. Be on top side. Sometimes it's hard, but you've got to be on top side. In faith, faith in God. When Ed Durham was here last week for his son's memorial service, he says, I remember when we bought this building and they wanted $140,000 for it. And you said, we're going to offer them $75,000 and we're going to pay it in cash. He said, I remember your faith. He says, I've never forgotten that. Never forgotten that. And we did. They took our offer. We paid them seventy-five in cash. We've been paying cash for stuff ever since. <laughs> it's pretty neat. To live by faith in a great God. God is good and God is great. And then be an example in purity, brother. Purity. Boy, impurity just really hurts some in the ministry. Got to be pure. Purity brings power. Romans 1 4 says, Jesus had the power of the Holy Spirit according to the, according to the Spirit of holiness. I didn't quote that right, but it was according to the Spirit of holiness that Jesus had. That he had the power of God on his life. Purity equals power. All right. Till I come, give attendance to reading. 
It's exhortation to doctrine. That's reading, especially reading the Bible. Exhortation, that's preaching. Doctrine. Okay, that's, that's sound teaching. You've got to give attendance to that. Um, stay in the Word. Now, now, there's other good books you can read, too, that will be shortcuts if they're good, good authors. Exhortation, that's your preaching. Pay attention to preaching. People are going to come a long ways to hear what you have to say. Don't waste their time. Give them some milk. Give them some meat of the Word. Um... Ask God, what do the people need? God knows. And follow His direction. And don't feel guilty about the time you spend in your office studying. I've preached or taught 10,000 times and I studied for every single one of them. Study. Don't, Don't ever feel guilty about time you spend studying the Word of God. On the back of your note, Spurgeon has a comment. We skipped his comment over there on verse, chapter 4, verse 8. Um, this is about exercise, physical exercise versus spiritual. Spurgeon said in 4.8, the overvalue of this life, they overvalue this life who consider it to be a greater thing than divine love, that is physical exercise, for the love of God is better than life. His loving kindness is better than life itself. Some would give anything for their lives, but they would give nothing for God's love. If their lives were in danger, they would hasten to the physician. But though they do not enjoy the love of God, yet they sit at ease and seek not the priceless benefit. They who feel rightly think it a cheap thing to live apart from God. They recognize that life would be but death unless God were with us. And that death itself is but the vestibule of life, while God is our joy and our strength. So that's a good spirit towards the spiritual rather than the physical. Now we just said, give attendance to reading. And again, Spurgeon now says in chapter 4, verse 13, back of your notes, read and depend on the Spirit of God. How often do we open the sacred book and read a chapter through, perhaps at family prayer, perhaps in our own private devotion, and having read from the first verse to the last, we shut the book, up the book, thinking we have done something right and prosper and in a vague way somehow profitable to us. Right and proper, as the thing is, we may really have gained nothing thereby. We may, in fact, have only drilled ourselves in the merely external part of religion, it may not have enjoyed anything spiritual or anything that can be beneficial to our souls if we have forgotten the divine spirit through whom the world has come to us. So that's why it says give attendance. Pay attention to what you're reading. Pay attention to your preaching ministry and to sound doctrine. Now here's a personal note to Timothy, I believe, but it could be said of others down through the ages. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, verse 14 which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. That word presbytery means the elders. Tomorrow night we'll go to Jamestown. We'll lay hands upon Ramon Rivera and he will be ordained into the ministry. That would be the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. The public setting him apart to the ministry and to the office of a bishop. 
Now, this is the New Testament equivalent of Joshua 1.8, verse 15. You know Joshua 1.8, right? You know it by memory? I'm not sure if I do. I used to. Uh, but uh, go ahead. Make thy way prosperous. And thou shalt have prosperity, good success. Only time it's used in the Bible, the word success, comes from meditation on the Word of God. Old Testament. Here's the New Testament equivalent, verse 15. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly or completely to them that thy profiting may appear unto all. Have you ever noticed the devil has a lot of things to occupy your mind with? To keep you from thinking on your own? Meditation is sacred. We've got to protect it and practice it. And then last of all, verse 16, take heed unto thyself. Pay attention. This is a really personal chapter where he keeps saying, take heed, pay attention, give attendance. Take heed to thyself. Pay attention to yourself. And under the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. In the context, this has nothing to do with the salvation of the soul. This has to do with saving yourself and your church from apostasy, heresy, compromise. Sometimes preachers don't pay attention to themselves and to the doctrine. Verse 16, and their churches end up apostate. It's amazing how quickly a church can change based on one person, the, the leader. But we'll save ourselves from this apostasy uh, and compromise and heresy if we will pay attention. Pay attention. There is the salvation of our souls talked about in the Bible, but there's also the salvation of our lives. Our lives, two different subjects. Jesus saves your soul. You save your life. How? By giving it up. Uh, Matthew or Mark 8, we studied this last year. Verse 35, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. So the way you save your life is by losing it to Christ and the Gospel. The Gospel. And that person will save it. Their, their life will go on into eternity and be remembered. So... Well, that's a lot, and I know you probably kept it all in your minds and hearts and didn't lose one single thought. So we've got that down. Let's go on to chapter 5. But I hope we'll read, read this, this text and, and be ready for this year. I'm going to be around. I'll do a lot of preaching and teaching and helping everywhere I can. Looking forward to it. But we're going to pray. Brother Check's giving out the prayer list. Take those home and pray over them too. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for those that came out for praise and prayer and the Bible study. Lord, help us. Help Pastor Barron, help Pastor Garland, myself, to be reminded of these things, how just how important, what a high calling we're unworthy of. God, help us to be humbled by it. Give Pastor Barron, especially 
ability to remember these things, practice them, and help our church to know and to pray for Him. Be like these things as much as we can. Now dismiss us with Thy blessing. Bless our fellowship, our safety going home today, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.